Well, good morning, folks. I was so glad to hear the news of your coming interim pastor. Uh, it's just part of the ministry that I provide churches. I know we're trying to get to this point. Uh, I'm going to miss you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed being with you. It's been a blessing to me, and it's been a blessing because I get to see how God works in a church. And I can see how your spirit has just increased, and you're so loving and outgoing. Uh, you're, you're at a great place now. So God bless you. And I'm going to be praying for you as we go on uh, in the future. Hope to see many of you again sometime. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. We'll take a look at a few verses in just a moment. There are times when we feel frustrated in life. A lot of those times we feel as if we may be prisoners ourselves or captures in, our, in ourselves. We, workplaces, that's a great example of what I'm trying to, to get across here. We as Christians try to live ethical and moral lifestyles. And yet it's so hard in a lot of work areas where there are unchristian people, not Christian people. Because they're born with a sinful nature, we all are, right? Only by the grace of God do Christians have a different lifestyle to attain to. Ethical, moral. And so you can see a conflict as the Christian and the non-Christian get together in a workplace. And it, it's a struggle sometimes because we know how we need to live and yet we know how someone else is living. And, you know, I, I, I've been in a few of those workplaces myself. There was one guy in one workplace. It was in the military. But we would pass each other in an aisle often during the day, and he was always cussing. And one day he said something right as we passed each other. It was a Friday afternoon. We were about to get off and go, go home. It was a three-day weekend. And he said something, and I turned around and said, potty mouth, and kept on walking. And I could hear his footsteps. He stopped and turned around. I didn't. He outranked me, so I just kind of kept on going. He could not wait to see me on Monday morning. He said, I had not realized how much I was cussing until you said that. So we can make a positive difference in the lives of others. Amen? Even when we are in places where we too feel like prisoners. I want you to kind of take that mindset and look at this passage of Scripture because what we're going to find here is Jeremiah is writing to a captive people. The Jews had rejected God. Now this is like way different than way over here when God made the Jewish nation or the Hebrew nation at that time a holy nation, his people. He always called them his people. And this was a holy nation. And they worshipped Yahweh God. 
It was important for us to understand this is where they came from and this is where they got to. So God said, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to get Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonian army, who was ruthless. They were just terrible to people. And I'm going to have them come and I'm going to devastate your land and I'm going to carry off your people into exile, into captivity. Now, when I say devastate your land, I guess I can liken it to some of the pictures that we see of Ukraine today. And when we talk about taking people off into captivity, this was not a joy trip. They put large fish hooks in your jaw and connected it to another prisoner and to another prisoner and to another prisoner. You did all you could to keep from that chain or whatever pulling on that fish hook going through your jaw. And that's how they got you into their nation, into a place where they would settle you down with other defeated people groups and kind of mess you together. So you see the setting here? Now, God has a word for them. And we need to see what God has for them. Uh, in your, this is just kind of a couple of side notes. In your index or column right beside the scripture in your Bibles, you might see that this was written 599 B.C. with a question mark. That's because theologians couldn't actually nail down this time period. It was anywhere from 599 to 587 when Jerusalem was finally and totally sacked. But this is the Judah people being taken off. Jerusalem had not yet been sacked. There are some other circumstances. Don't have time to go into all that today. But most theologians have narrowed this time gap down to 594 to 593. And also when we read in just a moment about these false prophets, we're not going to see who they are in this passage of Scripture, but if you'll go further in the letter, they are named in this letter. So let's take a look at what we have, because in this, these verses that we're going to read today, I think I am, This letter is to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Pick up with me in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. And settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets or diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Isn't that good news? Wouldn't you like to get a letter like that wherever you are in your prisons today? There are prisoners all around us, and sometimes we become those prisoners. Let me take you through some stages of life. The teen years. <laughs> you all laugh. But you remember, those rebellious years might be 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Someplace in there, you want to express yourself. You want your freedoms. And you have parents who want to keep you there and help you with some things that you have not yet a clue. But you want out. And your parents are dumber than dirt. Is that right? Everybody been there? Got some youth up here. They're like, yeah, preach it. <laughs> Fast forward a few years. You're married. You look around. You had your place decorated well. Black light posters and black lights, lava lamps. <laughs> and as you look around, you realize... This ain't my stuff. Now, ladies, thank you, because we don't decorate very well. It's a man cave, right? And you took over. But in this time frame, we're like, wow. There's a whole different set of priorities, and I'm still trying to hold on to these priorities when I was single. There's a conflict. Those golf games and fishing trips that I would go on become fleeting memories. And sometimes, and in guys transitioning here, maybe not so much for the ladies, but guys transitioning, we feel kind of trapped. Prisoners. We're looking for our black lights and posters and wondering why our golf clubs aren't handy. Fast forward a few more years. I'll get off of that one. We're in a workplace. Well, I kind of described that workplace, didn't I? You're a Christian. You're among non-Christians. And there's just, 
it's a tough time. It's a tough time. And you feel trapped there too. My wife was in a place. By the way, thank you for all you who expressed praying for her. She woke up and she's not very well this morning. Wanted to be here but can't be. So thank you for your prayers. But she was in a workplace one time and she was told by the boss, if someone asks for me when I'm in, just tell them I'm not here. In other words, lie. And one day it happened, she got this phone call and he was in and she didn't lie and she got fired. Now, God blessed her. She got two weeks pay being fired on a Friday and found a job on Monday where the two-week pay started and she was making much more than what she was making there and in a Christian environment. So listen, God blesses you if you're faithful to maintain the ethical and moral lifestyle that he wants you to live. Fast forward a couple more years. You have a child, or five, and you're trying to figure out how to raise them, okay? It, it's a trick. No one has written really any good books on it. Everybody's different. Every family is different. How can they nail this down and give us some help? And we wonder as they're growing up, what are they going to turn into? What are they going to look like? What are they going to do? Who are they going to become? And we do the best we can through those years. And when they reach 14, 15, 16, 17, I don't care how many letters you've got behind your name, you just became dumber than dirt. <laughs> and that's the environment that we live in a lot of times. Different places where we can feel like we are prisoners, where we are held captive. But listen, even though we are in these places where we feel like we're prisoners, we can make an impact to those who are not Christians. There are people around us constantly who have fallen into the temptation traps of sin. And folks, as Christians, I'm sorry, but sometimes we fall into that trap as well. And we need someone around us to remind us of God's love and His saving grace and His continual forgiveness. First John, it was written by the Apostle John to Christians. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 9, you'll see there, if we'll confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins. He knew that this is a continual problem even though we're saved. Satan will do everything he can to entrap us in sinful lifestyles. Praise God that he wants to forgive us. And will forgive us when we turn to him. Amen? At the same time, there are non-Christians who need to experience the grace of God for the very first time. And it's people like us, Christians, who need to help them out. To help them to see the love of God. To help them to see there is an escape from their prison 
from their hopelessness that they sense. I think we also need to recognize that Christians are to plant the seeds of life and hope. I like bushes, shrubbery, I guess, those red-tipped, whatever they're called. I like them. I don't even like to clip off the, you know, the red leaves that come up because, well, I like red flowers. Um, I, I, I like red roses. So I love it when Donna's like planting all these things around and yes, she puts some blues in and some whites in. She makes it all lovely and pretty, but I like red. But you know what? You need someone to plant these plants and water these plants to to nurture these plants, right? It needs care. Liken it to Christians who feel trapped in an environment, whether it's home or at work. We need to understand why we are there. Many times we are in this environment because God is placing us there for a purpose. There is someone or some people who need to be witnessed to, to be encouraged. And guess what? You're it. God is using you for his purpose to get to other people who need to hear encouraging words, to need to hear about God's love, to need to hear that there is more than just the hopelessness that they feel and that they sense. We need to plant the seed and witness to them. Look at verse 5. We are to be planters. We are to be willing to be flexible and yield to God's will and his desire for us to reach out to others. I had two pastorates that were very difficult pastorates. Let me just put it that way. I was at one church for six and a half years and then the next church for three and a half years. Ten years. Very difficult pastorate. Now, I want to preference this by saying there were good times. And I saw God do a lot of things. And, and I'm just so thankful for that. But guess what? I was it in those environments. A year and a half into my first pastorate, I had 12 deacons. That's a few. And, and nine of those deacons wanted my immediate resignation. One deacon came to my house and let me know that. I had asked him if he wanted something to drink after letting him in my house, offered him a seat, and I was about to sit down when he said, we want your immediate resignation. And I'm like, wow. Let me shorten this story to say the three deacons who supported me and their wives came over and prayed with Donna and me that night about four something in the morning when we came out of this prayer time. I said to this group, I sense that God is wanting me to break something. And I said, I, I hadn't figured it out yet. It, it's something about a cycle, to break a cycle. And a couple of other deacons and wives affirmed that, my wife affirmed that, all pretty much by saying, you don't need to resign. And what I found out then, the next few weeks, 
actually next two weeks, is that four previous pastors had been unceremoniously fired for no biblical reason. And that was the cycle that God wanted me to break. And they had just come after me to fire me. Business meeting came. There were many more people at that business meeting than you could shake a stick at. And when one of the deacons got up to make the motion to terminate the pastorate, one lady stood up and said, how dare you? I don't even think it got seconded. How dare you? That is my pastor. He is a fine preacher, a good man of God. He went, she went on for a little while. And when she finally sat down, there was another lady got up and spoke her piece, and a gentleman, and a lady. And they just popped up and down. And when that was all over, the deacons did not say a word. The motion never was voted on. And I stayed there. You, you're not ever going to tell me that that was not the hand of God making sure that I stayed there to break the cycle. You're not going to convince me at all. We had some difficult times still coming ahead. We even had a, another meeting six weeks later, I think it was. may have been eight. Where nine deacons were dismissed. That's a sad day when you dismiss somebody like that. But everyone were against something having to do with the church. And they left, all except for one. God still had his hand off the church while this one was still there. He was a ringleader. And one day he was gone. And God put his hand back on that church. And we started that morning having professions of faith. And next week, baptisms. And it kept up and kept growing and kept growing because God put his hand back on a church who had turned back to him instead of having a people who were rejecting him. Do you see yourself in environments like that? There are people around you who need to know there is hope. You can plant a seed of God's love. Even non-Christians can turn to God and recognize the goodness of God that is available for them in their lives. We need to continue to be in churches and in communities and in workplaces and in families where God has placed us because he's placed us there for a reason. Pray about that. Many times we'll go to a, like a workplace and we don't know really why we're there. Pray about it. Actually, pray about it before you get there. God also wants us to be involved in the lives of others. Look at verse 6. We are to marry and increase in number. It's a command that he gave to these prisoners. Now, speaking mainly to men, he's saying take wives and then give your daughters to sons and and get sons for your daughters now i and other theologians do not think that god is saying get these wives or sons from the other people groups who are with you i really think god is saying within your group continue to do this here's the reason why i say that i believe god's word is consistent 
It does not contradict itself. God is not a contradictive God where he contradicts himself. But we have scripture in Deuteronomy 7 verses 3 and 4 where this holy nation now is going to go into the promised land and they're going to take out these people groups. And God says, do not marry any of them. Do not give your daughters to their sons. Do not take their sons for your daughters. Why? Because, he says, they will turn your eyes from me. If that is already a mindset that is in place, I cannot think where God would change it here. And in fact, when they come out of captivity, you may recall some scripture where they're trying to look at everybody's lineage, and they couldn't find the lineage of some, and they were not allowed to be in the priesthood. Fast forward to the people called the Samaritans. They used to be Jews, but they had intermarried with other people groups, and now they're not full-blood Jews, and they were not allowed to rebuild the temple. With the Jews that came back to do that. Fast forward to the New Testament, and I'm going to talk to youth, especially right here. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked. What is it saying? In the Old Testament, the holy nation was the Jewish people. We're not talking a race now. We're talking a holy nation made up of Christians who have a witness to non-Christians. Do not be unequally yoked. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. If you marry somebody or date somebody and then leads to marriage of somebody who is not a Christian, the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in them. Guess what? They will lead you away from your God who you worship. I'm telling you, it happens all the time. So be careful when you get to those dating ages. Go ahead and ask a question. Are you a Christian? Where do you worship? Because you need to know before you get involved in a marriage if you're going to be unequally yoked or not. And parents, you can help in this area. God bless you. We went through all that ourselves. But one of the things that I liked about pastoring the small churches is that even though I was now placed in an area where I didn't know the people and the people didn't know me, I'm much like the excuse me, prisoners who ended up in Babylon, we would have bags of whatever on our front porch almost weekly, somebody, squash, tomatoes, peas. And they were all saying, I want to get to know you. This was easy to do there, to get to know them. Because if somebody went on vacation, or even us, if we went out of town, we watched each other's property to make sure it was safe. If somebody was out working in their yard, I'd go over and I'd, you know, talk to them for a while, help them out if I could. If they were having crawfish boils or whatever, I was always invited. I made a point of going I wanted, yeah, well, I like crawfish, but <laughs> I, I did. I made a point of going. But uh, they wanted to get to know us. And I wanted to get to know them. 
And so, I, you know, in my getting to know them, I prayed for them. I prayed for God to prosper them. Much like they're being told here in this scripture passage, pray for them. Live with them. Involve yourselves in their lives. And help them find the freedom from situations that they find themselves in because it's all over. Help them. Involve yourselves in their lives and walk with them when the times are tough. Sometimes, look at verse 7, being involved with others might cause conflict, but God wants us to be peacemakers. Seek peace and prosperity. Pray for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Conflicts are going to arise, but we need to be peacemakers and pray for them. There was a day that I was not the angel that you see right now. Our family of four would travel to Gazin, Alabama, which was home for both my mom and dad, wherever he was stationed, and sometimes those trips would take 21 to 28 hours driving straight through. You can imagine me as a child and a younger sister I don't know, I think it happened on purpose, but I'd put my hand right there in the middle where this imaginary line is, and I'd just kind of, and all of a sudden I'd hear, Mama, Robert Jr. is on my side of the car. She'd kind of let it go, and I'd do it again. Mama, he's doing it again. Robert Jr., behave. So she was the peacemaker. I was not making peace, all right? The only time that peace came was at night. We had eaten supper, filled up the car with gas. Mom got in the back seat. Mom and sister went to sleep. I stayed up with my dad watching signs. I could see signs a lot further off than he could. I'd read them for him. I mean, he stayed on the road. But listen, the roads weren't like where they are today. We didn't have all of I-20 and all of I-59. We were off on off of the pieces of I-20 onto 80 forever. And if you got behind an 18-wheeler, you were stuck. Alabama, we're looking for Highway 11 because I-59 didn't exist. We get up to Gadsden. My sister and I grew up. I think we're more peacemakers today. We love each other. We just went through that childhood phase you know but we're going to find ourselves in environments where we need to be the peacemaker there are people in their own little prisons either because of sin or or even in a situation where we haven't sinned and it seems like a prison but we need to be a people who can make peace and pray for them for their prosperity I think the reward awaits that comes from God for his people. I think verses 11 through 14 are probably some of the sweetest verses in Scripture that we can read and reread and know the love of God, the hope of God. He has our best interest at mind. He loves us 
so much. We just sang about that. Josh, thank you for taking the time to find these songs that fit so well. But God tells the Jewish people the exact number of years that they're going to be in captivity, the exact number of years that he is going to punish them for having rejected them. And then he says to them, I'm going to bring you home. You see, in the meantime, he wanted them to build homes, to plant their gardens, to eat the fruit, to marry, to increase in number. He did not want the people to just get disheartened totally. He just simply wanted to punish them for having rejected him. And now when these 70 years are over, God says, I'm going to bring you home to a place that you know. Here's your reward for turning back to me. I kind of like rewards. There are companies who you work for all year long. They prospered. They give you a Christmas bonus. I kind of liked those, you know, when I worked. It was nice. Maybe some of you have Christmas bonuses. Or through the year, they give you some time off that don't count against your vacation or whatever. I mean, the, you know, companies will do that for people who are going out of their way and, and working hard and, and doing what they can for the company. God does that for his people. When we turn back to him and worship him and give him our heart and seek him with all of our heart, he knows that and he rewards that. God has promised to gather us together, Christians, and usher us into his kingdom. And there are eternal rewards awaiting us in heaven. That is just great news. And in the meantime, as we're living life here, he still rewards us here. We need to look for it. Every day we can find something from God to praise God about. I wonder, whatever prison you had been in, have you thanked God for getting you out of there? For rewarding you for the time that you were faithful while you were there? Have you thanked God for who he is and how he took care of you. We need to do a little bit more of that, I think. We need to praise God in the fullest. He has eternal rewards awaiting for us. He has our best interest in mind. We should not forsake him. We should not feel like we're in a hopeless situation unless God is punishing us. But even then we can find hope and we can find his love and we can understand his promise. The captives from Jerusalem were not forgotten. The prophet Jeremiah was faithful to convey the words that God had given to that people. Jeremiah was not with them, obviously. He was still in an area that was going to be devastated. But it was important for him to convey God's words to this captive people. You won't be there too long. I'm going to bring you home. You know, to the Christian who is going through life and finding our own little prisons, 
It might be where our children called us dumber than dirt. By the way, age around 25, you're going to get a phone call or a visit. And you're going to find that child that you raised say to you, you know what, Dad, you were right. I, I needed to just cool my heels and stay here and learn more. I didn't know a few things, but thank you for all you did. And you know what? You can put all those letters behind your name again. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, you just got smart again. The marriages where we find those rocky times might feel like little times where we're in prison. Praise God, he gets us through those times and walks with us and helps us. It might be the work situations where we find ourselves in difficult situations as I did on those 10 years in two churches. I have to tell you that God called me after that to be a director of missions for uh, an area of churches and every day that I went to work was like the first. I was excited. I was pumped. I could not wait to get in the office. I was late leaving the office. It was like, oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to go and visit with the pastors. I'm glad to go and preach at this church. It was just an amazing, amazing time, and I felt like God was rewarding me here on earth for being faithful during these difficult times. I believe God does that. Christian, we've got a lot more than these rewards waiting us. We have an eternal life with God and these eternal rewards awaiting us. And we'll be with God and his love forever with all the compassion, with all the care, I have so many questions, and he's going to answer every one of them. It's just going to be super cool, okay? Forever. But if you're sitting here this morning and you cannot say 100%, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I'm, going to, I'm pleading with you this morning to recognize what God says in Scripture. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, until this time comes when you have confessed your sin to God and received his saving grace, you are condemned to hell. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place of eternal torment. There is no time off, no days off, no vacation. Every day, every hour of the day, every minute of the hour, you are in torment. And you're separated from God. I cannot fathom what eternal life is like for these. I beg you, turn to God today. Because he can save you from these pits of hell and two, a reward eternal in heaven with him. God loves his people. And we need to recognize that.
His eternal love is always there. We need to receive it. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, for helping us to understand that we can be prosperous prisoners even while here on earth, but certainly prosperous in eternity. No longer prisoners. You have set us free. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be part of your work here on earth, to reach others, to help others to see your love, your grace, your mercy, all the goodness that you offer. Thank you for these opportunities, even though some of these opportunities are, are tough times. Even though we're called names, even though we may be fired or our children reject us, thank you for, you for righting all of the wrongs, for bringing us back together, and for helping us to keep our eyes focused on you. Heavenly Father, you be glorified. You be honored and you be praised.